0: Hello and welcome to the Millennial Minimalist Podcast. I am your host, Kelly Foss, and together with my co-host, Lauren Morley, our mission is to help you simplify your life and live with greater intention. Together, let's live more with less. Hi, everyone. Today, we're speaking about the world of food and nutrition and how we can navigate this complicated industry so that we can make better decisions about what we eat. And to lead this conversation, we are joined by registered dietitian and nutrition expert Martina Lukatic to help us debunk common food and nutrition myths. Martina is our podcast partner at Loblaws Dietitians, and she works in Loblaws grocery stores in Toronto where she helps customers shop. Eat and live better. In a time where our eating habits are continually under pressure, Martina shares evidence-based tips to help us take the stress out of eating and strengthen our relationship with food. And together we talk about how to navigate the overwhelming number of products on our grocery shelves, how to manage ever-changing food trends, and how to adopt healthier and more intentional eating behaviors. We also discuss mindful eating, intuitive eating, and what it's like to work with a dietitian. Similar to decluttering our homes, we want to remove the excess when it comes to the ideas around food and nutrition. Be inspired to unlearn unhealthy patterns and misconceptions around food and be motivated to build simple and healthy habits that support your nutrition goals for good. So thank you so much for joining us, Martina. Today, we're excited to clear the noise when it comes to navigating food and nutrition. We see it as similar to decluttering our homes. And so we're looking forward to your advice to help us and our listeners remove the excess when it comes to industry myths. Now, to start off, considering you help others unlearn unhealthy behaviors around food and nutrition, whether that's learned from one's childhood or through social influences, can you share two or three common misunderstandings that you see?
1: Absolutely. And I really think you're totally right with the fact that we need to declutter a lot of the noise about nutrition that's surrounding us. And a lot of it actually really stems from what we learned through behaviors throughout our childhood. But I think for a lot of people these days, the big contributor is social media, right? With everything changed when we had like a rise of like, nutrition information communicated on these platforms, whether it's TikTok, Instagram, things like that. And it just creates so much confusion about nutrition these days, right? And like you said, it's just so much noise and so much clutter. But what we really do as dietitians is help you make the most informed choice wherever you're making those nutrition-informed decisions, right? So I think the big myths, and I mean, oh my gosh, where do I begin? Yeah, (laughs) right. Because there's so much, and I hope we honestly have so much time today to discuss them because there's really so much that we can talk about with regards to misconceptions. But I think the first one where I'll start out with is what we do as dieticians, which is a lot of people just think we do weight loss. Right. And that's what we think we do a lot of the times. And that's what a lot of people think that we see on a day-to-day basis with our clients, but it could not be more farther from the truth. Right. A lot of us do, you know, of course, chronic disease management or chronic disease prevention, which is, you know, managing things like diabetes or cholesterol levels or anything like that, like digestive issues, or even insulin resistance with PCOS and women's health. Right. There's so many facets that dietitians can really help out with, but Overall, I think, too, where we have a really big part in working with clients is strengthening their relationship with food. And I think we'll probably talk a lot about that Mm -hmm. today. Right. But that's really, I think, the big misconception is that, you know, when they people see a dietitian for the first time, they think, oh, well, they're just going to help me lose weight. Right. And We can do so much more than that, which I think is a big thing that I see a lot in my practice, for sure.
0: Yeah, I was thinking about it. I was thinking about, you know, how in my childhood, that's when you learn about food and nutrition, right? And then, you know, you grow up and you see what your friends do and you're in different environments and you're eating different things. And, you know, you learn in school at the same time, but... It, it it's it's those experiences that really influence what you do each day and and your friends and your peers big time. And so a lot of my friends yeah. are like, Oh, I'm doing this or I'm doing this, especially Lauren. Lauren Lauren's done them all. <laughs> <laughs> and so all, she's, she's ventured in all the, the diets she's tried them all so I'm always fascinated by all the things that she shares with me but you know at the same time it can become super complicated and confusing you know one day blueberries are the healthiest food in the world the next day people are like oh nope
1: <laughs> so it's like so oh conduc- absolutely right that's exactly how it happens. And I think we always have to put into perspective of it's the fear-mongering messages that take off right? Mm. Those are always the ones that go viral, especially on like TikTok or in social media, right? As soon as you cause some little sort of fear or, you know, it creates judgment with these foods as well, where you maybe perceive them as good versus bad and all of these sorts of things. That's when <laughs> the message really takes off, right? And of course, it goes rampant. So that's when I think as di- as a dietitian, when I do work with a lot of clients that I see, it's definitely about Simplifying that message, presenting them with the evidence, and then helping them make the most informed
2: choice. Yeah, I've been following the diet and weight loss industry for over 18 years. So I love actually, I find it entertaining now seeing the trends that come and go and what's popular and what's not. So yeah. you just kind of gotta totally. take it for what it is. But I know there's so many misconceptions. One of the ones I wanted to ask you about is soy. I know soy 10 years ago, I soy got so popular. Everyone was drinking soy milk. Everyone was eating Mm -hmm. tofu. And then all of a sudden it came out there like, oh, no, 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 soy's (laughs) not good for you. Like it's not good for men. It causes cancer. So I know you're all about the science. And
1: oh, I'm happy to kind of tell you a little bit more about it. So exactly that. And it's bringing it back to fear, right? A lot of these messages in the media, "We, we love these soy rich products, right? Of course, the very beginning, we have such an attachment to them. We see them as a great source of plant based proteins. And then, you know, snap of a finger, the flip just switches on us. And of course, we have so much fear that, you know, for a lot of men, it may lower t- testosterone levels or, you know, prostate cancer risk or breast cancer risk in women. There's so many stories that have just come out with it. And I can definitely come on here to just dispel that for you guys. And of course, it is not as scary as it seems. So just overall, Soy protein for sure is a great source of a plant-based protein, right? I know that we're all really trying to simplify how we're really, you know, incorporating more sources of plant-based proteins into our diet and everything like that. So soy is a great source of plant-based proteins. And it's actually found in a lot of different varieties of foods as well. So think things like, yes, soybeans and soy milk is probably the most popular, but of course, tofu tempeh edamame like the list really goes on right so it's definitely a fantastic source of protein that we should be having and i think where a lot of the scare and the fear came from is the fact that soy has those estrogen mimicking compounds that are like phytoestrogens right so that's where of course the media went nuts Mm -hmm. (laughs) because they hear estrogen mimicking and they go okay we should not be having these things take it away. We need to restrict these foods. But realistically, when we look at the nutrition evidence and the science behind it, there's no strong link proving this, right? So of course, all of this fear really kind of just completely overshadowed all of the benefits and the health benefits, right? Of all of these certain foods. And actually, it's actually quite the opposite, right? For a lot of men, it doesn't lower like testosterone levels it actually can reduce the prostate cancer risk, and it'll actually lower cholesterol levels, right? So it's actually quite the opposite side of the story. So there's definitely a lot of pros to having soy protein. And on the women's side of things, of course, it's a big misconception because soy should be maybe so avoided because of, you know, breast cancer risks and everything like that. But it's actually, again, the quite opposite. It could be quite protective. And there's actually no evidence surrounding the estrogen, like the any effect regarding your hormone health or mimicking those hormones or changing those hormones, right? So, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. You have to be so careful where you get your information from nowadays.
1: Totally. There's so many influencers these days or really anyone that's sharing, you know, what they're doing that works for them and everything like that. And You know, we have to respect what works for someone, but... We also have to acknowledge the fact that what works for one person doesn't necessarily work for everyone, right? And I think that's where a lot of these messages get misconstrued. I remember there was a wave of, "Oh, I can't
0: drink soy for men especially." <laughs> yeah. They're like, "Oh, don't don't put that near me. I can't drink soy." But then that I think I, that distance changed, which is good. And Lauren, when you said 10 years ago everyone was drinking soy, you're so right. I remember 10 plus years. I was in university and I remember shopping in the soy milk aisle because they're like, Oh, this is the new best thing. And side note, such a funny story. I got picked up in the soy milk aisle. So then all my girlfriends (laughs) like we got to go to the soy milk (laughs) aisle, the soy milk aisle is where it's at. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I love that. <laughs> yeah, even men are That's drinking so it. Funny. So, yeah. But now, you know, I think as you said, you have to kind of feel it out and see if it works for you. For me personally, I I do eat soy products, but there are certain soy products that I'm sensitive to. So it's interesting. Uh, you just have to feel out how your body totally. works. So,
1: yeah, absolutely. And I think at the end of the day, as much as I am the healthcare professional, you know your body best, right? And I can't deny that. So if something doesn't sit well with you, or you don't even like the taste of something, like you know your body best, you can be the best judge of that for sure. But I can really just present you with the evidence and you can kind of make that choice on your own, which is exactly what we do.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's super interesting. I didn't know that about soy. That's really cool. That makes me happy because I like soy. (laughs) Yeah, right.
1: And of course, like, especially for people who are going to be adopting a plant based diet, you have to kind of bring it back to the fact that if you are going to be, you know, going vegetarian or going vegan, of course, it's a massive lifestyle change. But you're going to be taking away, you know, a big part or big chunk of our diet, which is animal products, right? So we have to replace that with something. And a lot of the variety when it comes to plant based proteins, is coming from soy protein. So for someone who is really wanting to make that adjustment, like you have to acknowledge the fact that soy protein is going to be a lot of products, it's going to be a great protein to choose from, of course, and actually has a lot of health benefits. So nothing to be scared about. Wow.
0: So let's also talk about oils. We (laughs) spoke a a few weeks ago, I had brought up a few oils that I was skeptical about. And you said, No, it's actually not that bad for you. And I was like, wow. So what are the best and worst oils for you? And what are we getting wrong?
1: Oh, loaded question. I'm not gonna lie. (laughs) And of (laughs) course, probably the most controversial these days as well, right? Like, it's definitely a hot topic with a lot of people. And I think I mentioned to you at that point, I'm sure we all saw that TikTok of the girl at the university campus who was having her beautiful, colorful, veggie filled omelet. And then, you know, she found out that it was made with canola oil. And of course, she put it in the trash, right. And that's where a lot of this fear came from. We were like, okay, like, you know, we shouldn't be negating all of the health benefits that really come from, you know, a great omelet, right? Or the food that it's really produced with, just because the oil doesn't sit well with you, right? But just to kind of go back to your question, so there's a lot of things to really kind of think about when it comes to oils. Number one is going to be smoke point. So what, whether or not we're heat, using heat with these oils, like what heat temperature, like these oils can really tolerate when you're cooking, flavor is a massive part of it we can't deny it if you don't enjoy it and you don't like the taste of it then i think that should be your number one key factor of like don't have it right um if you're not going to enjoy it there's no point point. and then of course fat profile right does it have more saturated fats does it have more monounsaturated fats which is good for you fats and that's really where a lot of the questions right now lie right a lot of people are thinking oh like you know it, this one has more saturated fat so we should shouldn't be having it or this one has more monounsaturated fat so we should be having it and there's a lot of confusion around that. So which would you like to start with? I'll leave it up to you guys because <laughs> there's so many to go for. Well, let's talk about canola oil. Of course. <laughs> mm-hmm. So canola oil is of course right now the most controversial, right? And I will say it's quite surprising because there's a low amount of saturated fat with canola oil. It really does not have as much saturated fat compared to a lot of the other oils out there. And it's actually lower in saturated fats compared to olive oil, which is shocking to a lot of people, right? And it's actually higher in monounsaturated fats, which is the good for you heart healthy fats. So with that, you kind of think, oh, it should really kind of get you know, the gold star. It should get the praise, right? Because that's exactly what we're looking for. We're looking for low saturated fats and you know a great source of you know those monounsaturated fats for heart health, right? That's what we're looking for. But a lot of what's really being hypothesized in the media and social media is that a lot of the omega-6s in canola oils are contributing to inflammation, right? Mm. So that's really where a lot of the confusion is really coming from. And we have to always say too, a lot of the oils actually correct me, all oils contain both omega-6s and omega-3s. So they both, all of them contain both. It's just about the ratio between them. Okay. So what we've really seen in the body of evidence though, is that omega-6s actually don't have a significant impact on inflammation. (laughs) Right. So again, it's quite the opposite, right? So some research is actually suggesting that omega sixes that are found in oils or any other foods can actually reduce the risk of inflammation. And especially coupled with a lot of these oils that do have omega threes, because they all have some, then, you know, it's actually going to reduce that inflammation risk again, with the combination of those omega threes in our diet. So honestly, I think canola oil is a great choice, <laughs> controversial as it may seem, yeah. and has a really, really high smoke point as well. So It can handle high temperatures when you are cooking, but great choice. And it's also a great heart healthy choice as well, right? Because of a lot of those lower saturated fats.
0: So for me personally, I love olive oil. I use olive oil all yeah. the time because when Lauren and I went to Italy, people talked about olive oil like you should just put it on everything, even your face. I was like,
1: <laughs> okay, I I'm I'm drink gonna... it there. Yeah, you. Totally, yeah, actually, we drank yeah. it there. Yeah, uh, it's and a staple so... for that culture, right? It's a staple, mm-hmm. and I think olive oil is still a really great, fantastic choice. It's. I think when we're thinking decluttering and thinking of, you know, of course, maybe choosing one oil that really does it all for us, olive oil is one of those, right? You can use it with high temperature cooking. You can really do anything when it comes to, you know, of course, just doing salad dressings or things like that with no heat, right? So it's quite versatile in that regard, too. So I actually think olive oil is a fantastic choice as well. It's still fairly low in saturated fats, but still higher in those monounsaturated fats, which is what we want. So yeah
0: the last one I want to ask you about is coconut oil so I have a lot of friends who are dairy free and so I will cook or bake with coconut oil and you had mentioned to me prior that "Ah, coconut oil but people have said that to me recently it's like oh yeah coconut oil is not that good for you I was like really I love my bulletproof coffee Mm -hmm. in the morning I love my (laughs) coconut oil so I'm curious
2: Yeah, coconut oil, sorry, it got so popular, and it was so healthy. And then recently, they're like, oh, now it's not healthy.
1: Oh, Lauren, exactly. You took the words out of my mouth, right? So I feel like, oh my gosh, I lose track of time all the time. But- maybe what, five, six years ago now, it was like all the rage. And it was just like the be all end all oil, like you must be using coconut oil. And, you know, we didn't really have that much research done on it at the time, right? Because it was a new product. And of course, with the nutrition evidence too, you definitely want to study these foods for quite some time to see if there's going to be a long term impact, right? So you really want to make those, you know, of course, choices as well. But with that being said, coconut oil is actually going to be higher in saturated fats. So it's a little bit more comparable to, let's say, butter, right? We all know butter. We all love butter. But it's actually going to be a little bit more comparable to that. So higher in saturated fat, of course, a little bit lower in those mono and saturated fats as well. And a good rule of thumb that I'm really using with clients, whether I'm you know shopping with them in the grocery store or, of course, in consultations, is that if you can really see it as a solid at room temperature, then, of course, like that's going to be one of those ones that has more of those saturated fat profiles within it. And again, like the messaging is not like, okay, we can never have coconut oil, we can never have butter. Like, of course, we love these things, and we should be having them. We just need to have them and, you know, and be more conscious of the portion size, right? So, yeah. (laughs) Love
0: it. It's all about the quantity. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's a balance of these things, right? Of course, if it's a food that you really love, and, you know, of course, Kelly, you came to me, you're like, of course, I love coconut oil, then, you know, just make sure that you're conscious of the portion size with it, right? versus restricting it completely and I think that's where a lot of people are like oh then what can we have <laughs> right yeah. And then we get into that cycle of fear again
2: yeah everything in moderation I think another area that people are super lost in is with milk <laughs> there's a really oh funny stand-up that Jack Whitehall does on Netflix I don't know if you guys have seen it he like goes into I a have coffee seen shot. that <laughs> oh my it's so funny
0: tell me about it what does he do
2: He's like, can I get a cup of coffee with milk? And she's like, what kind of milk do you want? Do you want skim milk? 1%, 2%, whole milk, almond milk, coconut milk, oat milk, cashew <laughs> milk. And he was like, oh my God. <laughs> so There's I understand so why people are me. lost.
1: Totally. And I also like, it's, it's so funny you say that whenever I'm even with friends or family as well, when I'm ordering the coffee, they're like, you're getting milk. Like you're getting cow's milk. Right. So everyone like just goes straight confused with me. But even when I am like with a client as well, I'm not afraid to tell them my opinion that I do love milk. (laughs) I think it's a fantastic source of protein, a good source of calcium as well. And a lot of these plant-based milks, some of them definitely do cover a lot of, you know, the nutrition, like the difference in nutritional profile, right? Of course, with fortification. So they do tend to match cow's milk. But a lot of the times we fall short with the protein. So the direct comparable ones, if you don't want to maybe necessarily go for a cow's milk, maybe you're lactose intolerant, or maybe you just don't enjoy it. What I would maybe advise is A, going for a soy milk. So like we just said, totally okay to do that. There's also other milks that are really coming out to the market these days that have pea proteins in them that really make sure that you are getting that you know protein content within that milk. So a lot of the times when we're maybe transitioning from going from a cow's milk, let's say, in, you know an oatmeal. To maybe using almond milk, then, you know, of course, the protein content of that meal kind of just goes down, right? Mm-hmm. So, if we do prefer going for an almond milk or anything like that, what I would really work on with that client is making sure that there's an alternative source of protein there too. So, we can make sure that it's still gonna be a really filling and balanced meal overall. So, mm-hmm. you can really work with anything, but I will say if you're just looking for something simple, cow's milk doesn't affect you in terms of the lactose content or anything like that I say go for it right you're just really winning with cow's milk in my honest opinion again like controversial
2: yeah do you like 1% 2% whole milk or skim milk
1: honestly it really depends on the client and who I'm working with I would say honestly like a 2% is probably what I personally would go for but really just boils down to taste in my honest opinion really like low, lower fat is of course going to be a little, little bit better but of course there's always going to be a place for whole milk too if you do want to do that
0: I, yeah lauren loves her whole milk I think <laughs> a lot of people are i love sen- that yeah it's good i love when lauren pulls out her whole milk i'm like yeah a little bit of whole milk and coffee it's the best <laughs>
2: yeah or an oatmeal it's so creamy in oatmeal
1: Exactly. And of course, that built up the satiety factor for you, I'm sure, right? If you made that oatmeal with, let's say, almond milk, or maybe even water for that instance, too, right? Like, of course, it'd be good, but you wouldn't be fuller for that long of a time versus when you make it with like a 2% or maybe in your instance and in whole milk, right? So it always helps to boost up the satiety factor for you.
0: I think because of the rollout of all of the nut milk alternatives to dairy milk, a lot of people thought, oh, well, maybe dairy isn't good. And uh, I'm an example of that. And I also suffered from acne in my late 20s. And I thought to myself, okay, well, maybe it's dairy. And so I did an elimination diet. I removed all the milk, and I'm a big milk drinker, and I still drink milk today. I'll (laughs) I'll get there. But basically, I said, okay, for a year, I'm going to go off of dairy milk and see if it clears my skin. It actually had the opposite effect because I ended up switching to quinoa and rice milk, and I lost a bunch of weight. My doctor says, okay, what did you do? And I said, well, I switched to this milk when I was getting all this all this great protein and great calories from the milk I was drinking because I was drinking an average of two to three cups a day to drinking just quinoa rice milk, which had zero protein. So for those who are looking to make the switch or have made the switch, just make sure that that nut milk alternative has added protein in it, because that is, exactly. as you said, is so important. Yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think with a lot of the work that I do with clients as well, especially during those like shop with the dietitian sessions too, we're always looking at that nut milk milk aisle. I think it's a hot place to be in the grocery store because we can, of course, pick up the nutrition facts tables together and look, compare these products, right? Um, And there's also a lot of nut milks that are really coming out to the market these days too. Like I know that there's a protein based, you know, pea protein added, you know, um, I think it's an almond and cashew milk, right? So those are coming out to the market these days to really make sure we're filling those gaps with protein. Um, So there's a lot of products to choose from for sure, but just depends on the person and what they're really looking for and what their goals are. Mm
0: -hmm. I love that the three of us actually drink milk. You know how rare that is?
1: (laughs) It's very rare. It's very rare. And I will say, of course, when I'm like, you know, of course, like just with people or whoever it is, there's always that comment of like, you're getting milk with your coffee or whatever it is. It's rare. It's, It's, It's definitely something that always alarms people for sure. Bye. Look at us! Yeah, (laughs) look at the
0: protein we're getting. Uh, Yeah,
1: totally.
0: So I now I think that we can all agree that again there are conflicting views and bits of information out there about what foods are good for us and which foods are bad. And I'm curious, how can we better manage these messages on the day to day? Like, can you share one or two resources that we can go to, maybe online or or something that we can go to to you know manage these thoughts?
1: absolutely. Oh my gosh. I think first and foremost, I would really almost think about the language used, right? So if we're really seeing in the media, like, oh, this is a good for you food, it's a good food versus a bad food, we want to try to stay away from using that language, right? Because then it inflicts that judgment when we are having that quote-unquote, you know, bad for you food, right? When we should really just be accepting of all of them. Of course, if you have a dietary restriction or an allergy, that's a whole other story. But you know, we should definitely be inclusive of them all at this point, right? So definitely, you know, of course, if you're seeing messages in social media that say, this is bad, and you shouldn't be having this, of course, it's going to set alarm bells off for you as it would anyone. But definitely just take a step back and reflect on the basics as well. I think from what I've learned as a practicing dietitian, and even just someone who I will admit Probably consuming the exact same social media that a lot of my clients are right, and I can see where that confusion is coming from. So take a step back, see what that person is really, you know, what their credentials are. You know, if they're maybe a healthcare professional, if they're a registered dietitian, that's a plus, right? Maybe that's more of a trusting message. So follow those social media dietitians, right? I know a lot of our law dietitians have social media pages as well, where we share tips. And even products as well. So it might be a little bit of a taste of what a shop with the dietitian looks like. But that could be a really good place to start is making sure that whoever you are really following on social media has a registered dietitian credential. And also at the same time, maybe going through whoever you're following and you know, seeing, you know, if there's those messages that you're seeing on your timeline or on your for you page just double checking their credentials. I think it's always a good place to start to really see if that message is coming from the right place. That being said, if there's ever confusion, I always, always, always tell people, talk to us, (laughs) right? Like always come back to us. You can always ask a dietitian these things. Luckily for us, we're doing our free 15 minute chats as well, where you can always reach out to us and ask these questions. Of course, we can see if you know, you are in need of nutrition services as well from that based on your goals and what you're looking for. But you can always reach out to us and ask questions. Or if you see us in the grocery store, you can always do that too. So that's always a great resource. I would say, again, stick to the basics, sticking to making sure that you're having your veggies. I know even vegetables are getting some flack these days as well. But have your color have some really great, you know, of course, protein rich foods as well. And those whole grain carbs. And I think at that point, that's as simple as we can really get it, right? And that's just bringing it down to the basics without adding any extra layers of confusion. So that's what I would really say. Um, or if you're really someone who's looking online for a lot of nutrition research or nutrition information, we're also coming out with our blog these days too. So if you want to go to our website, which is services.ca, you can of course access a lot of different resources on a lot of the topics that we're actually covering here. So it could be a little bit of a refresher, and that way we can, you know, we can always head to a good source of credible information.
0: That's great. We're so happy to have you within our network, and you know, a lot of people <laughs> oh, saying, "Yeah, it's so great we can come and ask you questions and you know check out the website." But I, I, someone I, someone in my my network always says, "Eat the rainbow," and I love that. Eat the rainbow. Have colorful foods and you know lauren you've had a big impact on my eating habits i don't think you've realized that but lauren will always have healthy food around she'll have you know the whole milk and she'll have the the slice of bread she's not afraid of these ingredients that a lot of the influencers out there say oh you shouldn't eat that you know
1: totally and again it's fear right So I think, of course, when we talk about like adding more vegetables, I think you guys know just based off of our our previous conversations as well, or probably what I'm really preaching out there on social media too, is I don't want to ever take away something from someone's diet. I'm definitely not the type of dietitian to do that. And I always, always, always tell that to clients when I'm ever like, you know, on a 15 minute chat with a client or anything like that, I will always say I'm not the type of dietitian to say, you know what, you're stopping eating this. You're stopping eating that and you'll be good. Right. But at the end of the day, it's really about adding some foods in. And that's how we can really kind of reframe that mindset of how we're really approaching, you know, making a lifestyle change. Right. Because of course, before the diet industry has really told us and taught us that like we have to cut this out, we have to cut this out, we have to cut that out. Right. But when we shift that mindset and reframe it for ourselves, it becomes a lot more of a positive experience.
2: That's such a better way to look at it. I feel like my mentality is the only food I don't eat is the food I don't actually like.
1: Exactly. And then I if think it, great,
2: if it's not like the healthiest food, like dessert or wine and stuff, I just try to have it more in moderation as opposed to not having it at all, which goes into the next point. I, I want to talk about intuitive eating. I know this is something you really preach. I've read so much on it, intuitive and mindful eating. Janine Roth is a great author. If any of our listeners want to read her, she really helped me. But, you know, I especially throughout the years of people have been on diets or they've been in the diet industry. I know for myself, it can really screw up your hunger cues and your ability to intuitively eat because you're so regimented all the time to go back to actually listen to your body. So yeah. if you can just tell us what intuitive eating is and kind of the guidelines around it.
1: Oh my gosh! I'm like, how much time do we have? I can go. Uh,
2: talk I can. About this I know. Talk hours, about
1: right? So, as basic as I can really get it, because of course I could talk about this for days, and you guys know that it's what it really is: is a framework of ten principles that build off of one another, and it's really about shifting ourselves from rejecting that diet mentality that, of course, we've grown up in for so long, as you can, got, you guys can really attest to as well. And making peace with all foods and honoring those natural hunger and fullness cues that Lauren, I know you just mentioned, right? Because a lot of, you know, when we are growing up immersed in diet culture, as you both can really understand too, is we lose the ability to really trust our own hunger and fullness. And I always tell clients when I'm in sessions with them that it's kind of funny because when we are born, like when we're children, right? Like we are naturally born intuitive eaters. We stop when we're full, we ask for food when we wanted it. And somewhere over time, (laughs) when diet, the diet industry really came to be, we lost touch of that completely. So it's really about enjoying all foods, of course, like you said, like all the foods that you really truly enjoy, of course, but honoring that ability to have everything that you do want. But at the same time, no judgment, It's all about having something that is really, you know, going to satisfy you at the end of the day. So yeah, that's as simple as I can really get into it. I think you guys know I could talk about this for days.
2: Actually, I want your take on this because I read this and I thought it was really interesting. From an evolutionary standpoint, you know, if we see food or we smell food, it's going to make you want it because it's like, oh, there's food here. Eat it. We found food. But now our modern society, we are exposed to food constantly like through commercials and just walking by places and advertise, even on our phone, we're constantly advertised. It's so funny. You take an Uber now after they're like, would you like to get <laughs> something from
1: Uber Eats? Do you want Uber Eats now? Totally. Yeah, yeah. I know. It's like, oh, maybe. <laughs> so it
2: like, how do you listen to those hunger cues when you're so exposed to it too? Totally.
1: To food, And I think, yeah, it's a really good question you bring up. I think the fact that The food marketing industry has definitely shifted in a way that, you know, we really need to trust our own bodies a lot more, right? And trust our own hunger cues a lot more too, especially with that. That's a perfect example of the Uber Eats, right? Of course, you get out of the car and it's like prompting you like, what do you want to (laughs) eat? We can get that to you in under five minutes, right? So what I would really say is like, I actually use this a lot in client consultations is picturing a scale of one to 10, as simple as that can really be. One is you are ravenous, like you will go into your apartment and eat literally anything that you will see in sight. You don't care what it is because you're that hungry. And 10 on the other end of the spectrum is like your Thanksgiving dinner full, like you are so full to the point that you're uncomfortable, you're feeling sick, like not the nicest feeling. And usually along those lines, we really want to stay within that middle ground range I want to say pretty much all points of the day, right? Like this is a good mindful eating strategy as well. So I know you guys are asking about mindful eating, but we really want to stay, I would say between that like four and like seven range ish, pretty much at all times throughout the day, because we don't want to get to that one. Because as soon as we get to that one, we can get to that ten so fast, like snap of a finger, we are stuffed because we don't have control over over our hunger cues, right? We really lose sight of that when we reach a really ravenous what we call like a primal hunger stage so of course eating regularly will really help of course right if we're restricting food then of course then we won't you know overeat right or we'll stay pretty balanced or our blood sugar levels will be balanced we'll have more concentration things like that but of course marketing and everything like that can really kind of come into play and really influence our decisions when we are really kind of impressionable, right? When we're maybe at that one on the hunger scale with that, you know, example of the Uber Eats, of course, probably we're coming home from a long day of work. We're probably, you know, meeting after meeting after meeting, probably didn't have enough time to have a snack or maybe even lunch at that point. And then we're at that one, (laughs) right? So then that marketing is really swooping in there, of course, and is like, okay, like This is when, you know, they're probably at that primal hunger phase. They're probably, of course, willing and wanting, wanting food, like wanting food. So, so that's actually a very, you know, very good marketing strategy. But of course, if you prepare yourself well enough and you prioritize that nutrition throughout the day, you maybe won't be as impressionable to these marketing.
2: Mm. So you should all, so you should try to wait until you're at a four to eat and not eat past a seven.
1: Kind of, right? So you really want to stay in that like neutral-ish phase throughout the day, right? So you're not full, but you're not starving, but you're just at that point where you're like, yeah, I could eat something. And then we can assess, do we want a meal or do we want something like a balanced snack where it has like a good source of protein and ideally a source of fiber, right? So we can really make that decision, whatever our needs are really needing, at that point of the day, whatever time of day it is, just based on where we are on that scale, if we're at a three or a four, maybe we do need a meal, right? But maybe if we're at a five and we do see a break in our day that you know we haven't eaten in quite a bit, maybe just a snack might be necessary. But you're the best judge of that, right? Because I want you to really you know use those cues and actually really, of course, understand your own hunger and fullness scales, and you know it looks different for everyone. Mine looks so different from what your guys may look like, right? So. It's really about kind of going back and trusting those innate cues that we all have within us.
0: So it's really like eating till you're satisfied. Uh, I'm I'm yes. I'm with you and eating a little bit throughout the day so that I always feel like I'm not too hungry but I could I could also eat as uh, so never overeating Absolutely. but you know we all have our moments where we overeat and you're right you know especially when I come home from a late night and I've had a couple drinks all I want to do is eat some people don't <laughs> uh but that's definitely tempting for me so that Uber eats message after taking an Uber would definitely be something that I would think about uh so yeah it's it's a temptation and there's temptations all over the place I I think something we also need to think about is whether that hunger cue is actually thirst. Sometimes I get confused. I'm like, oh, I'm hungry. No, I'm actually thirsty. And also the structure that some people have. I know I have a dad who's very like, got to eat your breakfast, got to have your mid-morning snack, got to (laughs) have your lunch. You can't miss lunch. And so it would be, oh, we have a late breakfast at 10. And then, you know, a couple hours later,
1: he'd be like, okay, what's for lunch? And my mom will be like, I don't want lunch. I'm full. (laughs) Right. And and that just goes to show how everyone is really different. Right. Because of course, like I usually say to clients as well, we typically want to say like maybe three-ish hours between meals or snacks is a good time to maybe eat something. But again, trust your own body. You know it way better than I do in terms of your overall kind of hunger and fullness cues. Right. But I feel like that's kind of a general guideline of what you can kind of start thinking about. Right. Um, But yeah, no, it just looks so different for everyone. And that's a perfect example of that.
0: So moving the conversation over, I'm sure you're aware that this lifestyle really favors a more plant based lifestyle. However, it's not restrictive at all. It's just most people prefer that sustainable way of living. And so how do you recommend someone adopt a more sustainable plant based diet? Uh, And how can they start?
1: No, exactly. And I think that that is a really good kind of question, because I know that you're asking, like, how can they start? Right? Which is definitely a very tricky question for a lot of people. Because, of course, with any food or nutrition, we tend to be quite all or nothing. Right? So, of course, it depends on the reasoning. It depends on what, you know, of course, Why we're kind of shifting towards a plant based diet in your case, and maybe just because we're going for more sustainability reasons, which is fantastic. But what I would really say is go slow, right? I'm a big kind of believer in making small changes that add up to something bigger, right? So even if it's just introducing one plant based protein per week, or really just trying to kind of maybe like a meatless Monday or something as you know, cheesy as that sounds, right? Starting there can be. Much more of an approachable way of doing something like that versus saying, you know what, I'm going vegetarian tomorrow and I'm cutting all ties with animal products. Depends on, of course, what the reasoning is for some people, because of course, maybe that is why someone needs to do it. Someone may need to do that. But at the end of the day, if you're just willing to kind of like incorporate a little bit more plant-based proteins for, of course, health reasons and sustainability reasons, of course, go slow is what my number one piece of advice would be. Because it's a big lifestyle change for sure. Like I said before, you're cutting out a major, major component of your diet. So, of course, it's going to take some time and adjusting to really make that change and make it long lasting.
0: I know Lauren was curious about how you suggest people add things to the diets versus taking things out. Maybe this is an example. It's like maybe add a
1: couple plant based things, but don't take things out. So, yeah. Yeah, it, this would be like a prime example of that. So you know, of course, when we may think of like making a full lifestyle change, we immediately think about taking something out or restricting something. Or in this case, it would be like, I'm stopping eating animal proteins, right? But if we really kind of shift our mindset a little bit to more of that adding in, or what we like to call it actually is like nutrition by addition, right? We can all benefit from plant-based proteins. They're fantastic. They're a good source of protein. They're, of course, more sustainable and a great source of fiber as well, too, if you're choosing things like you know, beans or legumes or anything like that, right? So it doesn't have to be a full shift to just plant-based proteins by end of day tomorrow, but it could very well look like adding, you know, maybe one, de- like one meal per week of a plant-based protein. And then once you kind of build confidence with that, you can maybe go to two or three or a good example that I tell clients a lot too, is if you have classic recipes that, you know, have like, you know, of course, animal proteins, you can even do half and half, right? Like you can do maybe some lentils and some, you know, of course, red meat or turkey or something like that to really just make sure that you're getting the best of both worlds there. So again, doesn't have to be totally black and white. I think a lot of the times we jump to that black and white. So
2: yeah, no, I, I feel like even I followed this girl, and she was like, if you want pizza, just like have a salad with it. If you want dessert, have fresh fruit with it. And it h- helps you eat less of it, but and still get better nutrition. So it really does help.
1: Totally. And if you if you want that, of course, it's going to be those times where you just want pizza, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> We can't yeah. always be balanced. But at the same time, of course, that would be the most informed choice to do that. Like, add a salad, add some color there. And I think that's a big thing that I really tried to get people to add in is let's add in color. I wouldn't even say vegetable. I'll just say color. Like add, make sure you have three colors on your plate. One of them can come from a whole grain. One of them can come from whatever protein you choose. And then one or maybe even two, if you want to go the extra mile is coming from your veggies. So that could be a good way of doing it. I also really love the saying of eat what you want and also eat what you need. Mm -hmm. So let me kind of shift that or take a step back for a moment. So say in that example that you just gave Lauren is, you know, of course I wanted pizza. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't want pizza? Pizza is great, right? But you know that pizza is not going to necessarily be the most filling for you or, you know, it may not be the most balanced choice out there, right? And of course you still want some extra color or something to make you feel really good because Who You know, we can go nuts on pizza sometimes if we wanted to, right? So what you could do is, of course, have the pizza as your, this is what I want. And as your need, because sometimes you do need it, right? You would maybe add a salad or add some veggies on the side or whatever that may look like to you to really add in some extra color there. And then that way it becomes more so a balanced plate right? And it satisfies both of those needs. Because a lot of the times, you know, if you we were to ask probably any of us, maybe years ago, we would say, no, we're not having pizza ever again. It's a bad food, right? Those one of those quote unquote, bad foods. But realistically, what we've learned and what we can really, of course, build into working with our clients on a day to day basis is we can still enjoy those foods 100% with no guilt, no shame, any of that. But we can incorporate it to make a more balanced choice. Or ultimately, at the end of the day, too, we can still just have pizza, (laughs) right? Like, we don't have to always have a vegetable. (laughs) Who am I kidding, right? Like, it would, of course, be the most informed choice. But who am I kidding when I say, like, of course, I just want pizza, right? We can't be... Blaming ourselves for that. While
0: I'm while you're talking, I'm thinking of my brother. So I remember growing up, he would eat so many slices. I'm like, Stephen, how do you fit all those in you? And now, <laughs> now he he limits it to two to three, and then he has carrots and and other other veggies on the side. He'll have this big stack of veggies on the side. He's like, this way, I only limit it to this. <laughs> like that's so cute. Right, so you're
1: you're really. It, I love that. Still so enjoy. Exactly. Yeah. You're getting the best of both worlds. You're still getting some fullness out of those, you know, extra kind of maybe veggies that they're adding on the side as well. So that inherently makes it a little bit more of a balanced meal, right? So I think that's great. But again, we can't negate from the fact that it's like, "Oh, I just want pizza." And we shouldn't ignore that and like maybe add some vegetable vegetables because we think that we should or we have to.
2: So as you know, our podcast is on minimalism and simplification and grocery stores can be so overwhelming these days. I mean, they're a lot of fun too. I love going to grocery stores and seeing all the new products and things you can buy, but with your shopping dietitian sessions, how do you make people make better decisions and just feel less overwhelmed? So can you kind of walk us through an experience?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's such a great question. I think what makes my job unique, so unique in and of itself is the fact that I'm able to really help a lot of my clients make those informed decisions right when they're shopping, right? So it's definitely something that we can do together with a lot of people, or there isn't really even like a necessary, like, oh, you can do your grocery shopping with me. You can just tour the aisles with me as well, right? So there's definitely an option for everybody. But what I really would say to that sense would be make sure you're doing adequate meal planning. Right? Because I know that we can all be guilty of I know myself included. I can't, I'm not, no angel in this, right? Where we just go to the grocery store, we see everything that we want, and then we come home with no coherent plan. And of course, then a lot of that food goes to waste, right? Because we don't have a plan in place. And we don't really know with, what we're going to be doing with these ingredients, right? We all fall victim to that, of course, even myself, right? But what we can really do, I think would be taking a step back before doing that grocery store tour, really planning out like two to three meals per week, depending on the person, whether they're feeding a family or if it's just someone cooking for themselves, or maybe one or two people, we have to look at who they're cooking for really, and the number of people, but for maybe for someone like us, who are maybe just cooking for one or two, right? Like, you'd maybe just need to plan like two or three meals per week, and that can really kind of you know, make sure that you're having leftovers and things like that, too, that you can really rely on. And then that way, you're probably buying less, right? Because you're not kind of clouded by any other foods that you may not necessarily need, because they're not in those recipes. So that's what I'd really say, I'd say, go back to your meal planning basics, and really try to plan out what you're going to be doing. And also maybe making a grocery list based off that as well. But that being said, too, I'm obviously very, very you know, I really encouraging the fact of like trying new things. So if there's maybe one or two things at the grocery store that maybe you've never tried before or something that piques your interest, right? I encourage a lot of people to just go for that because that's what keeps us motivated, right? Of course if we were gonna cook the same meals on rotation every single week, works for some people, I will say, but we definitely need variety. (laughs) And that's what really keeps us accountable to our goals and making that shift overall.
2: Yeah, for sure. I feel like sometimes I want to try a new recipe and I'll buy all these new ingredients and come home and it won't turn out. I'm like, that was such a waste of money and time.
1: (laughs) Well, you know what? You can kind of just say like, okay, I won't try that ever again, right? It's because you almost got that out and you know, you tried it, which is good. It's still like skills in the kitchen that you'll, you know, of course learn from as well. But maybe in that regard too, like you can always be like, Okay, what would I do differently next time? So you can always kind of approach it like that as well. So
0: to close our conversation, what does working with a dietitian look like and and what are most of your clients seeking help with?
1: Yeah, for sure. So I think what makes my job so unique as well with Loblaws is the fact that we're a network of over 70 dietitians nationally, right? So we all have different specialties, we all have different niches and what we do practice with. So of course, we're all able to really find the best dietitian to work with that individual based on their goals, right? So that's always something to think of. But what that journey of working with a dietitian looks like, because not many people do know what that looks like, is first we always start off with a free 15 minute chat, which is basically like your introductory call. So it's really casual. You just really get on the phone with one of our dietitians. And we're able to just really ask some overarching questions about what your goals may look like, what you're looking to kind of do and work with a dietitian on, a little bit about your health history. And from there, we can kind of correctly match you with the best dietitian that is going to be the best fit for that person, right? So that's what we really do in that free 15 minute chat. And then we go on to the comprehensive nutrition assessment. So for myself in my own practice, what I really do is I take that full hour with the client, and really ask a lot of questions. <laughs> I really, really, really try my best to get to know that person on a much deeper level, whether that's if they have tried diets in the past, what their goals are, what they're looking to achieve, their lifestyle history is big, of course, what they're doing for work, what they're doing for, of course, meal planning strategies. And of course, ultimately, as well, their health history, their family history, any medications, things like that. And that's really where I'm able to kind of take that information and really make a more customizable and tailored nutrition plan for that person that really makes sure that it's completely customizable to them. It's not just something that works for one person, it works for everyone else, right? Because we know that about nutrition these days. It's definitely, definitely so individualized. And that's what we all really take into account when we're working with someone. So no person is the same. (laughs) But yeah, that's really where we start. And then, of course, it's about goal setting, right? So with those ongoing follow ups with a dietitian, you're able to really set small, but realistic and achievable goals with us. And in that way, we're really working towards something bigger, like I said before, right? So we're making those small shifts in order to make a bigger change overall. And that's what's really going to help us in order to make that lifestyle change. So we're definitely not people to inflict any diets or any quick fixes or anything like that. But we really, what we do is make small changes that are sustainable for that person. And then, of course, are really willing, what, the, what they're willing to do as well. So it has to be realistic and approachable to them.
0: And I, I want to add that when, when I worked with a dietitian, I found it actually very therapeutic. Interesting, we we go to a therapist for our mental health, but you can also go to a dietitian to help reflect on your food and nutrition needs and your goals and actually feel seen. I loved the feeling of feeling seen by that dietitian, being I mean, like, Okay, yeah, I'm doing things right now. And this feels That's so good. nice to hear.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I really say, and of course, what I really do with a lot of my clients and what I really specialize in is more of that non-diet intuitive eating approach as well, right? So working to, re- to strengthen their relationship with food and of course, like reject all of that diet culture that's been thrown at us for the last hundred years, right? So that's what I'm really working on with my clients. And of course, like that is a big thing where you are doing a lot of listening, right? And of course, hearing their experiences. And it's really refreshing to hear as well that, you know, in your case, you felt so, so, so seen.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's really I, I, important. I realized that like food is medicine and good food is health. And then health is wealth, really. So
1: totally, of course. And I think for all of us, we can really all make that change as well, or we can make small changes. Again, we always think about that black or white or making big changes. And then once we kind of overcommit, we fall short and, you know, we don't stay motivated. Right. So that's why we're really about making small, sustainable changes for that client And then also really making sure that those changes are long lasting.
2: Yeah. And I've learned so much, even just preparing for this podcast stuff that you can, (laughs) you know, use for the rest of your life. It's so important. Even if someone just worked with you a few times, it's incredible how much you can learn and apply.
1: Totally. And like I said before too, it's just a unique job that I am in because we're able to really make, help make those choices with those clients right in the grocery store. Right. So definitely different we can always of course learn something from working with a dietitian. so no matter what your goal is I really do encourage a lot of people just to reach out to see if that's something that you know of course could be part of their care or part of a lifestyle change right because like I said before we do so much more than just weight loss Mm -hmm. so that's definitely something that we can always help out with but yeah
2: yeah, it's so convenient, too. I feel like if you see a dietician, they try to teach you stuff, but it's all on paper, whereas you're actually like there with them in the store. It's, it makes such totally. a difference.
1: Yeah. And and of course, like we're there in the store. We're there for grocery store tours as well. where We're literally on the store floors with you or it could very well be, you know, in a consultation room where we're very much just having, you know, a one on one conversation. So it's a little bit more private. And then, of course, we also do virtual and phone appointments as well. So it could be a mishmash for someone, right? Maybe sometimes they just want to come in to see me and then maybe one day they want to do a virtual appointment or some prefer to do one or the other, right? And I think, of course, we're just meeting people where they're at with that too. Everyone has a preference.
0: I really appreciate your open and inclusive approach to food and nutrition.
1: You know, it's nice oh, to Oh, good.
0: You know, I I know,
1: I think we've all just been so like, diet culture has really just shifted us all right where I think we're all really starting to come around to the fact that like all these foods do really play a part in our lives, right? Like culturally, like emotionally, like, of course, if there if there was no pizza, like, come on, we have no satisfaction in our life, right? So there's definitely always going to be like more of that, like all foods fit approach, right? There's not going to be any quick fixes or anything like that. But yeah.
0: In your bio, you say when we shift from focusing on the latest health trend, and instead allow ourselves to explore the foods we enjoy, nutrition becomes less complicated and so much more enjoyable. And I loved that. So well said.
1: Good. Yeah, no, I, I really preach that for sure. Because again, it's that restriction piece that we've always been so accustomed to over the past few years, right, where we've been told to, you know, not have this food and not have that food. And of course, that happens. We want it that much more. right? yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We've all known that. So I think when we really just come to the terms with the fact that we can enjoy all of these foods with no judgment, no shame, it just eating becomes so much more of a better experience for us overall. And we're able to just truly enjoy those foods again without any, any conditions, right? No strings attached.
0: So let's grab that pizza tonight, Lauren, and not feel guilty.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, right? Once you kind of get that guilt out of the way, then, you know, of course, there's not really room to kind of, you know, stop having these foods, right? You can definitely still have them as part of a balanced diet.
0: Totally. Now, where can our listeners find you and
1: learn more about Loblaws Dietitian Services? Yes, for sure. So where you can really find us is our website, which is services.ca. Or you can really head directly to another website of ours, which is bookadietician.ca to book your own appointment. But you can also find us on social media as well. My personal social media is loblaws.dietician.martina. And that's where I'm really sharing a lot of product knowledge, a lot of, of course, nutrition tips as well. And that way, a lot of customers can kind of reach out to me through there too. So yeah. Fantastic.
0: And we will include all of those links in the show notes for everyone so they can find you and the main website. So thank you so awesome. much, Martina. That was so much fun. You are incredibly knowledgeable. This is fantastic. I'm <laughs> sure you. our listeners are loving all this information that they can share with their friends.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm so glad. It's honestly been so fun chatting with you guys always. And yeah, no, I'm super happy to kind of, you know, answer any questions for sure. Yeah,
0: definitely. No, this was so
2: good. Thank you so much.
1: Well, oh,
0: the pleasure. three of us, thank
1: we you. should grab
0: Christmas holiday lattes soon. Love <laughs> it.
1: For sure. Too. With cow's milk, probably. Yeah,
0: with, <laughs> with cow's milk. milk. <laughs> Whole milk. All right. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Bye bye. Thank Thanks you. so much. Bye. bye. Thank you for listening. That was our conversation with registered dietitian and nutrition expert, Martina Lukatic. And we hope that we answered some of your food and nutrition related questions and have inspired you to be more intentional about your food choices. And if you are interested in learning more about Martina and her services at Loblaws Dietitians, head to dietitianservices.ca and follow her on Instagram at loblaws.dietitian.martina. Plus, you can also follow her team on Instagram at shoppersonlinedietitian. And as always, you can find these links in our show notes. Also, on some exciting news, I want to share that the Millennium Minimals podcast is now partnered with Toronto Star Podcast, and as part of our partnership, the team would love to hear your feedback about our podcast. In our show notes, you can also find a quick link to a five-minute survey, and by completing this, you will be entered in a draw to win one of three $100 Amazon gift cards. And lastly, I want to thank all of you for listening and be sure to tune in to next week's episode where Lauren and I share our responses to your minimalist lifestyle questions. We asked you on Instagram at Millennial Minimalist about your goals and challenges and we have a ton of tips to share. So thanks again and we will speak with you next week. Bye-bye.